Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thanks for returning to the My Vinyasa Practice podcast. Today, we have Candice joining us to talk a little bit about mindfulness and parenting and kind of what it looks like for her to incorporate her yoga practice into her relationship with her kiddos. So Candice, thank you for being here this morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. I'm very happy to have you. So tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about your background, um, why you're interested in mindfulness, and maybe if you want to share about your kiddo, you can, or a little bit about your relationship with your kiddo. Yeah. Um, So let's see. I started my yoga practice um, consistently, I would say, just five years ago. Um, Before that, it was, you know, I had gone to yoga classes here and there, um, but never really found a strong connection to it. And I, one of my bucket list items with my sister, who um, is actually my half sister, and we we never grew up together, um, but once a year we tried to plan something just for us. We are uh, very close, which we're both grateful for. Um, and as we've gotten older and transitioned into different phases of our lives, we've gotten closer. So uh, we decided to go to a yoga festival in Whistler, so in Canada. And that is where I fell in love with my yoga practice. And funnily enough, she was pregnant at the time and did not want to move. Like she was in her first trimester, feeling very sick. Um, so I fell in love with the yoga practice. I came back to Austin and signed up for a yoga teacher training. And here I am, uh, almost four or four years later, I think almost, um, teaching yoga and continually diving deeper into what my practice looks like. And I can say it has changed drastically from when I started um, through my teaching journey. Um, and I've gone just myself through this like pursuer distancer relationship with, um, certain aspects of yoga, um, asana, all the things. So just like any other relationship and building trust and intimacy with it, um, very similar to so many of the other like relationships that we have in our lives. That was beautifully put. Thank you for sharing that. Um, awesome. Okay, so Canada. Why Canada? Just just because? Um, yeah, we were looking around um, just at different locations mm-hmm. of the festival. And uh, my sister lives actually at like the border of Washington in Canada. Got so you. I was like, oh, well, I can just stay with you for a couple of days and we can drive up. Um, and it was supposed to be a really beautiful drive, driving up like the coast of Washington into Canada and it was fire season and it looked like we were on Mars and we pull into the yoga festival and it's like raining ash. And so they had to cancel like all of the outdoor yoga, which was a huge draw for the festival. Um, and so we were like shoved inside all these little random resort buildings. But again, like, you learn to make it work. It's all part of the yoga. And it's really cool to see 
to be in company of so many yogis and like people in the wellness and mindfulness realm and to see and be in the rush of things operating when nobody's expectations are being met. Um, it was, yeah, it was probably my first time being in a huge group of people just kind of like going with, literally going with the flow of all of the changes that needed to be made. Um, so it was cool to see that like in living example. That's awesome. Doing the work in real time. That's kind of what I love about working at MPP because I feel like I'm surrounded by people like you and, you know, everyone else who's like on their own path of, of doing the work in the moment. And it makes it easier for myself. Yeah, it, to is, be in relation with. it is incredibly, uh, incredibly inspiring. And yeah, you're, it's like you're constantly having a mirror kind of put up in front of you. I know we hear that phase a lot. Um, you know, but you see so much of yourself and other people and watching people work through challenge or have to ask for help. Um, and in the, like the call and response of communication is it, yeah, it's just really fulfilling and really beautiful to be in a community of people learning how to communicate and communicate well and allow, you know, we, like we allow each other to be challenged and we open the space for feedback um, so that we can operate with more ease. And, you know, we hear so much about like um, non-suffering, right? Like when you, when you make it to enlightenment, we're no longer suffering. And uh, one thing that I talk a lot about with students is, you know, it's not that we reach this point of non-suffering where nothing bad happens to us or we don't you know, find any more challenge in our life because we're floating on clouds. It's more of when we notice that we're suffering or we notice um, you know, that we've been triggered or um, we are not showing up in a way that we expect ourselves to. It's those light bulb moments of like, okay, what can I pull from this? Um, I like to call them paint palettes instead of toolkits. Um, but like, what color can I choose to, you know, support myself through this um, to ease my suffering instead of like nothing bad happens to me anymore. Um, and so when we can choose from those colors or when we can choose from our toolkit that we've created um, in any given situation to like pause and move through and move forward, um, it's like, oh, that's, that's when we invite more ease into our lives. And whether that's, yeah, relationship or friendship or work or parenting, um, even, you know, with strangers when we're driving down the road or ordering food or coffee, you know, all, all the things. Absolutely. I love that. I love several things about what you said. I love the color palette. Super cute. Way more relatable than tools. Don't use tools. <laughs> so I like that. It's very more, very relatable. Um, I think that's a great segue though, kind of into talking about 
how you use your palate in parenting because I'm, I'm viewing your, your palate, right. As your yoga practice, because everything is, is yoga, right. When we get down to it, everything is we're always doing the work in the yoga. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, always doing the work, uh, life or, or yoga or practice off of the mat. Um, I, I like to think of our practice on the mat is like a micro version for what we do off of the mat. Um, so when we meet challenge, when we get frustrated or in those idle moments where we feel like we're not doing anything. And so that's when our mind gets active. That's when um, you know, we start telling stories or meeting parts of ourselves that we're not comfortable with. Um, and especially in a group class where we think that like all eyes are on us for, for whatever reason, it's, we step into a space of vulnerability, um, when we go into those group classes or public classes. Um, and so meeting ourselves, like literally meeting ourselves, so many of us meet parts of ourselves for the first time through asana. Um, and I think it's for many people, the way in to yoga. Um, and when I am off the mat, it took me a long time to remind myself that um, the work doesn't, st the yoga doesn't stop. Um, the yoga doesn't stop after, you know, my seated meditation and I step off the mat. So I meet those moments of challenge and frustration um, within not only my relationship with my co-parent or my partner and my child, um, but having, yeah, having to turn to my color palette to say like, okay, I need to pause. I need to pause before I react. Um, I need to, to turn or to pull from the colors that remind me to apologize, you know, when I'm, when I am in the wrong or when I need to apologize. Um, and I need to, you know, find the color that reminds me to be in, in the moment of what is actually happening instead of thinking forward um, and not, not allowing myself to enjoy whatever is happening right now. And it sounds so much easier um, than, than it really is. I mean, it's, it's easy to say these things and in practice, it's so difficult. Um, the narrative of, am I doing enough? Is this good enough? Is it too much? It, that narrative rarely ever goes away. Um, but, or and it, it continually, now it's always the message to, to be in the present, the message to inquire about what's happening with myself or uh, with my son 
instead of just making up a story um, that's much more available now than it was, you know, I would say even two years ago. So just like everything else, it's a practice. You have to show up, you have to choose to show up to it every day and to not feel defeated, you know, when you get to the end of a day and you're like, mm, I didn't really do my best. I did my best in the moment, but looking kind of like bird's eye view, that was not my best. And so not letting yourself get defeated um, or in a negative cycle of thought, you know, when those, when those days or when those moments do come up. Yeah, always returning to non-judgment of the experience. Um, because like you said, if you're, if you're in the experience, then that's enough. Because um, at the end of the day, we are spirit, spiritual beings, right? But we're in a human experience and that comes with making mistakes, regardless of how mindful and present we want to be. That's something I tell uh, some of my students as well. I do a, a gratitude and mindfulness workshop once a month, or I was for a little while. And it was always just that reminder that even though we are stepping into the space of, yes, I want to, I'm choosing to show up in a different way that it's not always successful, that sometimes we fall back into our samskaras and that that's okay to forgive yourself before moving forward. Yeah. And it's, it's important to see those parts of ourselves and because then when we see it in others, you know, that's where we start building the practice of compassion and understanding. Um, when we allow ourselves to see, yeah, the heavier, the darker parts of ourselves or the shadow parts of ourselves, you know, there are so many terms for those parts of ourselves that we don't necessarily want to share or for other people to see or that we don't wanna see ourselves. Um, but, and I'm sure that you've noticed too with your students that when we create a space for people to share those, those parts of themselves or certain experiences, um, that a connection is made. And instead of a disconnection, which is what we've been conditioned to think that like, oh, if I share my grief or my heartbreak or you know, this, this part of me that somebody else didn't like, you know, if I share that, uh, then I will be hurt or nobody will like me um, or they'll, they'll see something I don't want them to see. We've been taught that, that's, that those parts of us are ways that will disconnect us from others when really they can be just like fertilizer for connection um, because it allows other people to be who they are, which is what we all want. And of course, we're not gonna like every single thing about people, even our, the people that we love the most. Um, you know, if we think about our friendships, our best friends, and we, we love them so much and we drive each other absolutely crazy, but there is that like, freedom of autonomy and honesty and you can call each other out and it's all part of why that relationship is so 
intimate or deep and trusting um, because all of you is allowed. Yes, I love that. And it's almost like it's contagious, right? When we start to do the work ourselves that other people see, yeah, there's room for me to do the work, even in the moments here or in the store or in the, in the car. That's typically my biggest example every time, the car. I don't know why, it's such a new invention. It makes me very primally angry, mm -hmm. but I digress. Um, yeah, so mindfulness is like, I feel like a little contagious, right? When we start to practice it. Do you feel that way with your child, with your son? Absolutely. Um, I, th I think, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I think a lot of um, my progress is measured in what I see through him. Um, and, and turning or choosing to look at the bigger picture, you know, and what, what really matters. And I base what matters on not only my values, but like our values as a family. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit, going a little bit more personal. Um, so my son's father and I were married and are no longer married, we are divorced. And in going through the, the process of separation um, and we were not seeing eye to eye, I was the one who, who asked for the separation and asked for the divorce. Um, and my son's dad, you know, was like, we made vows to each other. Like, we can't, we can't break this vow. You can't leave this marriage because it's breaking and the ultimate promise. And I had to sit with that one for a little while and came back with, okay, well, it feels like we're breaking that original promise every day. So what's to say that we can't create new vows or new promises going forward that fit, that fit what's happening now and that fit into the bigger picture of what we want for ourselves and what we want to show our son, Cameron. You know, I don't ever want him, I don't ever want Cameron to think love is an obligation or that, um, that it's something that you have, that you have to do or certain, you know, you don't ever have to be a martyr for, for love um, and that love transforms all the time. And so going forward, that is what we have done. And in our dynamic as a family, you know, we value honesty and transparency um, and wanting Cameron to feel free to be whoever he wants to be. And of course, and that sounds like beautiful to say out loud, but you know, in a world where we're constantly told not to be, we're constantly told to change and be something different and to fit into a mold. Um, it's 
it's hard to do that. Um, it's hard to pave a way for your child to really do that. And so as parents, we have to, we have to do that as well. We have to be honest, um, honest with ourselves and honest with each other. Um, we have to learn how to communicate so that the other person hears and not communicate just because we want to be right or you know win or be the better person. Um, and you know, even in new partnerships, what we integrate, what were other people that we're integrating into our family, it's um, I had to to kind of stand my ground in this one and like we are we are a team like we will be this growing team and so whoever comes in is invited like as a teammate and they will be supported by us because that's what teammates do and that's how we will all thrive and as long as the foundation is strong then everything else that's built on top of it um has a chance um, and can integrate safely. So as beautiful and as wonderful as that, and I've shared this story before with friends and, and family and um, you know, many people I know, and fortunately, uh, fortunately, you know, who went through separations of their own. Um, this sounds like the fairy tale ending of what so many people would want, but it is so it's so challenging to do that work to make sure that or that to, that you're staying on the path for that to actually happen. Um, it has taken lots of yoga retreats, lots of meditations, lots of you know men's groups and women's groups and. Um, all the deep dives into the psychology of, of ourselves and of trauma and of relationship um, and children's brain development. But taking in all that information and sort of like weeding out, okay, what is helpful here in this experience? Um, yeah, and just making sure that like as adults, we're not projecting like our own insecurities onto our eight-year-old. And it's, I mean, it's constant, it's constant. And that's just like one area of life, right? That's not even work or all the other responsibilities that, that we take on. So yeah, it, it's never, it's never ending. Um, and I will say though, that becoming a parent is the biggest responsibility I have ever stepped into. I did not know <laughs> what I was getting myself into even when I was like 28, 27, 28, when I had Cameron and, um, thinking like, oh, this is the next stage in life. I like kids. I would like a child of my own. And you don't really know what you're getting into until you're actually there. Um, and for sure has made me into the person that I am today. Um, 
and I'm really glad that I'm not walking around with blinders on anymore. Um, but it does really, I mean, that is the biggest shiniest mirror that never goes away. It's always following you when you see, yeah, your child mirroring back like, oh, he gets that from me. Oh, that sassiness, definitely mine. Like, you know, like the, the resistance definitely comes from me. Um, and instead of getting angry with that or frustrated, being able to see like, oh, yeah, that's, I'm seeing myself in him right now. And so how do we move forward with this? How do I integrate, like, stay in this moment, right? The practice of mindfulness, stay in this moment instead of leaving my body and yelling or asking him to change what he's doing or who he is. Um, but taking that moment to pause and which Cameron now notices, he sees when I like close my eyes and take a deep breath or if I'm sighing a lot, he'll be like, mom, um, you're sighing a lot. Are you frustrated today? Like he can tell, he can tell when there's a shift in me, um, which is something that his dad and I have both asked of like, if you can see that there's something different or um, if we are not showing up as our best selves, like, please call us out. That's, you don't have to tiptoe around us or pretend. Um, I think it helps him build emotional intelligence and empathy of being able, and he is already very sensitive. I would say he's a highly sensitive person. Um, and so, and I'm sure many empaths out there know how much energy that takes when you're just pulling on everybody else or when you're so attached to um, other people's energy because you can feel it and you know it. Um, and I would like Cameron to, to use that as a superpower versus um, something he feels like he has no control of. Um, so if he can identify and practice that with us of like, mm, something's going on, are you okay? And that I can practice saying like, I am frustrated. It has nothing to do with, with you. Um, I just need a couple seconds to like process and bring myself to a point where like we can talk about this or not talk about this. Not everything has to be dissected. Um, but that is mostly what integrating mindfulness is like within our relationship. Um, yeah, and then funnily enough, I was having this conversation with uh, a group of parents at Cameron School um, that what I do so much is try to plan this beautiful future for Cameron and like our family and what the vision what I, what my vision is that I spend so much time trying to plan and create that, that I'm not even in the moments that are 
going to be what create that future. And so um, bids for connection, which is something that John and Julie, the Gottmans, I don't know if you've heard of the Gottman Institute, they talk a lot about relationship things. Um, and they talk about bids for connection, how um, every day, the people that we spend the most time with, um, we're constantly offering each other bids for connection, whether that's like, oh, hey, will you take a walk with me? Or, hey, I found this article, will you read it? Um, and that over time, if like, if people turn away from those bids, and most of the time we don't even realize it, but that's what creates um, more like disconnection in relationships. So I'm tuning in to Cam Cameron's bids for a connection. Um, when he wants to like climb all over me or when he wants me to watch a YouTube video with him, um, you know, and I'm like, I can't because I'm doing dishes or I can't because whatever reason I come up with having again to pause and be like, oh, he's asking me to connect. Um, and this is a moment where I can choose to turn towards it and know that the dishes will get done. Um, or yeah, the clothes will get put away. And yeah, just kind of constantly doing an audit on what matters here. What are we moving towards here? So many long-winded answers for these for these questions. It goes, yeah. You're honestly just guiding yourself though. I was just, I'm sitting here listening and like, oh, that was my next question. That was my next question. And you're just very easily guiding the conversation. So I appreciate you. Um, sounds like you're putting so, so, so many things into practice um, that all kind of fall under the mindfulness, right? Which is something that I talk about a little bit. Like it, it was a little frustrating when I realized that even though I learned all the things, that that wasn't the end, that I still had to be present and I still had to make hard decisions. And knowing all the things felt like it made it worse at first, made it harder because now I knew all the things. Anyway, so. No, that's perfect. And it, I, there are so many times, I don't think there's been a time in my life where I've said more that like, oh, ignorance is bliss. I get it. I get it now. And so. Um, yeah, I feel like and we, when we go through the teacher trainings and we kind of go through the point where we do all the learning, right? It's just like training after training after training. Um, and I want to say to probably everybody watching this, like that is a part, that is a part of this journey that just taking in all of this information that, yeah, is, it's life-changing. But it's life-changing when we realize, oh, it's not just stuff that I'm reading. It's not just stuff that I'm learning. Like this is the, this is the practice. This is the homework. I like to call a lot of uh, things just pop quizzes in life, like the daily challenges and the things that come up. And it's a pop quiz of like, mm, have I learned? Have I really learned that thing? that lesson that I talk about so easily, but putting it into practice feels nearly impossible and I don't want to do it. And 
I want to do what's comfortable, what I know best. Um, yeah, I want to shut down or I want to yell. Um, you know, I want to shout expletives in the car when no one can hear me. Yes, my, my therapist used to call it my want to be the passive observer in my own life so that I didn't have to be a part of it just so that I wasn't responsible for what happened. It was a purposeful victimization. I'm stepping out and everything is just happening to me. Um, but returning back to some of the things that you've said earlier, it sounds like you're practicing a crap ton of non-attachment which is something that I'm trying to lean towards more um, and maybe not even necessarily breaking those attachments yet, but just practicing that mindful, like, oh, I'm noticing that I'm being called towards something. What is it about that thing that makes me feel better? Why am I going back to it? And I think that's beautiful that your son is noticing your pauses. What a beautiful lesson to impart. Yeah, it is probably the one of the biggest and most impactful lessons for for me. And I can only speak from like my seat as as mom, as a parent. You know, I'm sure for for his dad it's um, different. You know, the the biggest work that he has to do um, is different. It is most likely a practice in non-attachment and releasing control in certain areas. Um, and one of, one of the tattoos that I got in, in my teacher training is actually the, is non-attachment, um, which people are like, hmm, you got a tattoo of non, non-attachment. I'm like, okay, back up. Um, but it's, it's my biggest, it's the reminder that I need the most of. Um, and my one of my therapists constantly talked to me about my relationship to space because I tend to be someone that holds on so tightly in my relationship to so many, to so many things. Um, in my romantic relationships, I'm like usually like the the anxious one. And I'm like, mm, I can just love them so hard that they never want to leave. I did that so much with, with Cameron. Um, when I heard that there was attachment style or there was um, like attached parenting, I was like, oh, perfect. It's okay. I can do this. It's going to be wonderful. We'll have the best relationship ever. And having to be called out um, of like, you are going to smother him um, with your attachment and with what you feel is love. And so um, the non, non-grasping or non-attachment, and I love the visual um, of like having a butterfly we can think about like kids having a bug in their hand um, or us having a butterfly in our hand. And so to feel chosen, right? To have this thing that you want to hold on to it. You don't want to let it go. You want it to be yours and you don't 
want to forget this experience. You want it to live on forever and ever, but you can squeeze it to death. Like you can squeeze it until there's no more life in it or it's no longer there. And so allowing, you know, like your palm to be, to be open and for this butterfly to come and go uh, is really helpful for me in visualizing like, okay, this is what non-attachment is. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't care or, you know, if I choose not to attach or if I open my hand, that's giving whatever it is, this, the freedom to grow, to come and to go and to choose me instead of me saying like, you are mine. I choose this and this is how it's going to be. Um, and isn't that lovely to be chosen over and over again? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what I think, you know, that's really what we want. Mm -hmm. um, I think so many of us have a fear of not being chosen. You exactly. know, and as Cameron grows older, it's the fear of like, oh, as he moves into teenage years or as he moves into adulthood, will he continue to choose to come back, you know, to us, mm -hmm. to his caregivers and yeah, can't smother that. We can't mm -mm. force that. That is over time, you know, building trust and yeah, allowing him to have the space to make his own decisions and to build resilience. And um, yeah, I say that for me, all I want for Cameron is for him to trust himself. You know, so many parents I think want to trust their kids but how do we measure, you know, how do we know? How do we know if we trust our, our kids? How do we know we trust anybody? Well, we know because they trust themselves. They trust themselves to make decisions that are right in the moment. And even if they end up not being right, that they'll bounce back, that they're resilient, that they can course correct, and that they know the people they can turn towards if they need support you know, moving through that, um, through that shift or through the pivot. Um, yeah, and I think for me, the people, the people that trust themselves, you know, I know that I can trust them, um, I think is a big measure. You bring up a really beautiful point that I learned recently from Susanna Barkataki. I don't know if you know who she is. Um, love her. She's an Indian yoga teacher who talks a lot about cultural appropriation um, and application of, you know, the yamas and niyamas in ways that we don't think about. So she talked about how worrying about others is a form of violence and how practicing ahimsa, nonviolence, is us stepping into the space of they can take care of themselves. That I do care for them, but that doesn't mean I have to worry. I can trust that they know what they can, what they're, what they want to do and that that's enough. Um, and so what you were saying just kind of reminded me of that. Like, I want to give him space to trust himself and that will put me at ease a very loving and non-attached way of showing yeah. up for him an expectation. 
Yeah. And that I love, I love it when um, other people can reframe, reframe those messages um, in a way to just kind of like think of it at a different angle. And yeah, I, I think worrying is something many of us naturally do. Um, and especially when you have either people or animals that you're responsible for, right? There's just like constant worry, um, you know, but I do have to ask myself, and we can even think of this in the, the grand scheme, like the macrocosm of like, you know, worrying about things that we are not in control of. Um, and that, I mean, that can honestly also do harm to ourselves um, and the amount of stress and the weight that we take on, the burden of thought that we take on and how it can paralyze us into like inaction. If you just spend all of your time worrying and yeah, you miss out. You miss out on so, so much, so many experiences and so many bids for connection. Um, yesterday, Cameron went on his first field trip ever, you know, and he had a ride in a car with somebody I'd never met before. And I noticed that he forgot his jacket on a day when it was 40 degrees in Texas and they were outside, you know, and my first, um, my first thought was like, oh, well, let me drive back to the school real fast to give him his jacket. Um, one of the philosophies of his school is that children, they are their own people. They need to make their own mistakes. We are not there to save them every time they ask to be saved or it's not up to us to decide whether they are, whether or not they need saving. Um, and that that is how a lesson will be learned. He most likely will not forget his jacket again on the cold day um, because he had the space to experience what needed to be experienced. Um, and so, yeah, just like allowing, allowing things to happen as they should without me trying to change the outcome of things. Um, hardest, hardest lesson for me, and I take it personally, even though it's me telling myself or like reminding myself. Um, but yeah, wanting to be better and wanting to do better, but also knowing that like, it is a part, it is a part of me to want the best of everything for everybody. Um, but that doesn't mean that I get to control the situation or the environment or determine what's best for them yeah and who am I to, who am I to that's my ego talking thinking mm -hmm. that I can make everybody happy that I can um switch things around or alter things and manipulate a situation because I want it to be the best but you know that how I'm not a I don't have the power and the way that it is is what it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. yes but that's hard to it's hard to lean into that and I can only imagine as a parent 
I can only imagine because I hear that once you have a child, your heart is no longer yours. It is outside of your body and there's not anything you can do about it. Absolutely. It, it is a catch 22 for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, they are, Cameron was his own, like, I mean, he was, Cameron, even watching him grow and thinking backwards into, you know, when he was in my belly and when he came out of the womb into the world of just like, he has been Cameron ever since day one. I mean, there has been no stopping. I mean, I could have tried to stop it, but he is absolutely his own person. And I want to nurture that of like, and I, and even, you know, as an instructor um, and working with uh, new or like YTT students and YTT grads, you know, as we transition from being a student in a 200 in our first training and figuring out like what we're going to offer. It is my favorite group of group of yoga instructors to work with because of that excitement and because of how nervous and scared we are. It's like this sweet spot of stepping into your, your gift and like the gift that you are going to offer. Um, you know, and I'm sure at the time that you graduated your YTT, you know, and stepped into the world of, of teaching and of what yoga was going to look like as an offering. Um, it is not, it's not easy. And you're constant, you're like auditioning and you're in this comparison game. Um, and what I, what I hope to share with, with new YTT grads is you, it's so important for you to be unique and to offer what is natural for you to offer and from a very deeply personal experience because that is going to be what's most authentic and that is what is, that's what people and your students are going to resonate with. And one person cannot be for everybody. You don't want that responsibility of being there for everybody. It feels so fulfilling to have a class of, of two people that you feel connected to versus 2000 people that are, you know, maybe bowing at your feet um, and they don't know why. It, you, ha you have to go through the experience of, of feeling both of those things, but to be led by your own, your own footsteps, like your own energy, your own momentum um, is, yeah, is what I, what I want, not only for, for Cameron, like not only for my child, but even in, in this realm of, of life, of yoga and applying what yoga and all of its teachings um, mean to us, but allow yourself to be led from the inside 
versus, oh, that's what, that's what's happening on Instagram. Like, this is what my yoga needs to look like. This is what my body should be able to do. This is what I should be wearing as I do it. Um, you know, and, and just letting go of that attachment and allowing yourself to move forward and step forward along your own, along your own path. Um, yeah, I think is just what I hope, I hope to be able to hold that space for people. I think that that is, and it's hard for me to say it, but I think that is my gift is being able to hold space for people to go through those transformations, to go through those phases, to, you know, like trip and fall and make mistakes and get back up again, like having that space to get back up again and, and move forward. So yeah, I think taking what is my biggest challenge and, and turning it into what I can offer. That is the gift that I can offer the world. Um, and that's, that's the lane, that's where, um, this is the seat that I will stay in for a while. I'm sure it will grow and it'll transform as it has over the years. Um, you know, but I know that I will not, you know, be in the realm of like chakras um, or I'm trying to think there's so many, there's so many ways that yoga can go. Um, but this is my, did I think this would be the seat that I was sitting in when I started teaching yoga? Absolutely not. Um, but it's nice that like, it is a seat that I have stepped forward into and has grown organically through tripping and falling and having to get up and trying something and it not working out and trying again. Um, yeah, which is, which is parenting, which is what we do in work and for our livelihood and in relationships and in friendships. It all weaves together. What so a beautiful much message to end on. Yes. Yeah. It all weaves together. Mm -hmm. yeah, the work I, you do in one realm is the work you do in the other. Yeah. I, I think for some, it's very easy and feels more organized to compartmentalize different things. Um, you know, even it's like gym, working out at the gym or doing yoga and then work is from this time to this time in this space and yeah, parenting and friends and we compartmentalize everything, but really it's all woven. You know, we, we are, a constant in all of those worlds. So we're just, we're bringing ourselves into all of those realms. Um, and what a gift to give ourselves to just be who we are in all of those places. Um, and yeah, so many of the practices of yoga, when we think of, you know, breathing, 
of breath and how fluid it is. And when we feel rigidity or when we feel um, resistance somewhere, that that's a signal to look into what's happening there. How can I bring more ease um, to my body, to my breath? And same thing, stepping off of the mat or stepping outside of what's happening internally. Like how do I move with more ease and more fluidity? Um, yeah, instead of that rigid, the rigid energy. The grasping. Call it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, one last thing, Brene Brown, I think uh, she has a quote that says something about um, strong back, soft front, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, like talking about having a strong foundation um, and, you know, kind of like this soft and open heart, uh, but needing to have both um, to be able to stay upright um, and also lead with openness and compassion, like to lead with an open heart and wanting to understand, um, but without a strong back, right? Like we'll, we'll crumble or we'll be more of a puddle, like without any boundaries um, versus like a river that has shores and um, yeah, kind of things that keep it in place and keep it moving. Um, so many visuals we can we can add into it, but you know, as we move forward, as we step off of our mat and, and weave all of these practices into life, um, in the way that like asana prepares us for meditation, right? Like asana prepares us to sit. Right. It's asana prepares us to or can help act and, and pay attention to what we're saying, what we're doing um, and noticing, okay, am I showing up? Am I showing up in the way that I want to in this moment? Um, and it's okay if I'm not, what can I do from here? Like, what can I do now to make sure or to move me towards acting in the way that I would like to. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for creating the space and holding the space to let all of that, let all of it flow out. Um, you know, I think as, as, as parents and if there are parents listening um, or, and for the parents that are listening, there are so many things that we don't talk about. Um, it can be very isolating and it's not, it's, it's not just for parents. There are so many parts of, of our life and of our relationship to things that can feel really isolating. Um, so yeah, I, I hope, I hope that people have a space to share, um, the things that do kind of make us feel like we're alone and whether it's in a journal, whether it's speaking to, you know, your, your animals or, you know, to the trees in a forest, or, you know, if it is 
in groups um, that we're able to share these things so that we're not walking around carrying the heaviness of it every single day, even just releasing these things um, out of your body can, can lighten you. No one can fix it. No one has to fix it. It doesn't, there aren't things that necessarily are, are broken or need to be fixed. It, it's what makes us human. Um, these thoughts and the consciousness is what makes us human. And it's frustrating, it's beautiful, it's challenging, it's funny, you know, it, it can be all of these things at once. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that by sharing these, you know, and every, every conversation you have, Michaela, every guest you have, every topic you share on are just more ways for people to connect and to share their story um, and this ripple effect of like, oh, I have a story too. Um, I have a story that's similar, you know, or you shared something that made me think of something that happened for me. And that's the ripple effect of like connection and inviting um, ease and sharing. And it's really beautiful. I think that what you're doing and what you're offering is just really beautiful and yeah. Well, thank you for, for coming into this space. Um, I'm, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm lucky because I kind of inherited this and it's my favorite thing to do is to just sit and listen to people tell their stories. So I'm very thankful to you. I'm thankful for your vulnerability and for sharing. Um, thank you to the listeners for, yeah, for coming and holding this space with us. I'm definitely going to have Candace back on. We have way more that we can talk about. So any anything else you want to impart before we say farewell? Oh, I think I think that was it. Yeah. Again, just awesome. Thank you for for holding this space and creating this space. Um, and yeah, just really grateful to be here. Really grateful to be a part of MVP. Um, and I love all of the connections that I have with students. It's just such a positive and beautiful environment to get to show up to, you know, almost every day. So yeah, we really lucked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again, everyone. Have a great rest of your day and see you next week. Thanks, Michaela. Bye. Of course. Bye.